You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 223 of the National Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Another Sunday, another episode. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode and I hope you will enjoy this one. Now this episode is titled Heresy for a very good reason. Because what I am about to say now is probably in the psychedelic community considered sacrilegious. That's right. I'm about to commit heresy. (gasps) Good thing Terence McKenna has my back. Permission for heresy is never a bad idea. Now, one of the most important books in the field of psychedelic studies is Dr. Rick Strassman's book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. This book documents when Strassman conducted U.S. DEA-approved clinical research at the University of New Mexico, in which he injected 60 volunteers with DMT. And as we all know, DMT is one of the most powerful psychedelic substances known to man and woman. (laughs) Dr. Rick Strassman's detailed account of those sessions is an inquiry into the nature of the human mind and the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. DMT, which is a plant-derived chemical that is also manufactured by the human brain, consistently produced near-death and mystical experiences for these volunteers that Strassman injected. Now most people that have had a deep interest in psychedelics place this book pretty high in their psychedelic library and there's even a film also with the same name, DMT, the spirit molecule. And even I did this. And it is true that it is a landmark book about a landmark research project. There's nothing that can be debated about that. You know, it will always be historically significant. The fact that he was allowed to do it and it was like the first time they did that kind of a study. But, and here's where the heresy comes in. Is it really good DMT research? (gasps) Having lived with this book for almost 20 years, I now feel it is time to re-evaluate it. Mainly due to the fact that I recently read another book by Strassmann that also uses the same research project as its foundation. And it annoyed me a bit because it almost felt like he was milking it. You know, instead of doing a new research project, which I understand is hard to get DEA-approved clinical research of inje- you know to inject DMT into people, I understand it's difficult, but still, it just felt like he was milking the same same research again for a new book, and um, the research is basically just like accounts of what people experienced, so. You know, I know you can't really... It's hard to do research on DMT, you know. The best thing is to do it yourself, you know. But um, is it really good DMT research? I think the DMT research he did is deeply flawed on many levels. 
as a first try to do a study, I guess it's fine. But what we really need is a new study done properly. Or perhaps one cannot study DMT in this way. Perhaps DMT is a path you walk, not something that can really be studied. Also this thing that uh, Dr. Rick Strassman is basing another book on by now really old research is like trying to squeeze out more juice from the same lemon in my opinion. In the original study I felt there was a lack of intention, set and setting. It was a bit too clinical. I mean I don't think the set and setting and the intention that those uh, volunteers that participated in the uh, study was really that you know good at, at least not what was described in the book DMT the spirit molecule it was way too scientific and i know it's a scientific study but if you really want to understand DMT and if you want to use it properly i don't think uh to do DMT in such a clinical way is very effective. Anyway, as I said, the reason I am beginning to feel like this is because of a more later book written by Strassman called DMT, The Soul of Prophecy. Now this book looks at the concept of prophecy in the Hebrew Bible and explains how it may share biological and metaphysical mechanisms with the DMT effects. Strassmann does this, as I said, by going over his initial DMT research project again, as well as examining medieval commentaries on the Hebrew Bible. Strassmann reveals how Jewish metaphysics provides a top-down model for both the prophetic and DMT states, a model he calls Theoneurology. So what is theoneurology? Well, it's a model that proposes that the divine communicates with us through the chemistry of DMT present in the human brain. On page 57 of my signed edition, Strassman writes, The ethics and morality of indigenous Amazonian shamans and their western students are problematic. Violent, often murderous, Competition for power, prestige, money and sex is commonplace. Let me repeat that. The ethics and morality of indigenous Amazonian shamans and their western students are problematic. Violent, murderous, competition for power, prestige, money and sex is commonplace. Now I think this is a very arrogant thing to write. And it shows that Strassmann does not know what he is talking about. Basically he sweeps away any other spiritual culture based on the fact that it does not have a cultural connection to his own Jewish background. And in a sense that is fine. But when reading his book I still got this arrogant vibe whenever he talked about anything that was non-Jewish or non-Buddhist. Because he seems deeply biased towards Buddhism, of which he has invested many years, as well as towards Judaism, which is his heritage. Strassman seems to lack the ability to take anything seriously that is not scientific, Jewish or Buddhist. 
As a psychonaut, I find such limited views when trying to investigate something as mysterious as DMT more of a hindrance than an aid. And the fact that he thinks Amazonian shamans are murderers and their students are competing for power, prestige, money, and the shamans are violent just proves that he's been reading those two, three BuzzFeed articles that are negative about ayahuasca because thousands and thousands of people take ayahuasca all the time and none of that crap is going on. He thinks the ethics and morality of indigenous Amazonian shamans is less than the ethics and morality of priests in the Jewish religion. <laughs> Come on. Is he really saying that the Jewish priests is the height of ethics and morality in the world? Come on. They're just like the Catholic priests. They're all pedophiles, for God's sake. <gasps> all right, sorry about that. Listen to this uh, taken from the audio version of the book DMT, The Soul of Prophecy. In addition, the Hebrew Bible provides welcome ethical and moral guidelines regarding how to apply the powers and insights resulting from these states, something the shamanic model to a great degree presently lacks. This is kind of a dumb statement. Such a statement makes me suspect Strassmann's whole canon of work. In a sense, he is right because shamanism does not have a book or a written law or something like that. You know, that's true. My morals and ethics and understanding and application is provided to the participant by the aid of the sacred plants themselves, by the guidance of the shaman and by the integration that follows. Not by some book or by some written law. You know, it's a completely different tradition. And it is dumb because he is comparing two systems that are utterly different. One is more anarchy styled, you know, shamanism. In shamanism, the practitioner has more responsibility over him or herself. The Hebrew Bible is more like a communist state where there is a sort of parental leader that dictates people's lives. You know, it's a totally different system. This would indicate that we may experience prophecy through the psychedelic experience. However, I believe the evidence does not support this conclusion. In the case of the psychedelic drug experience, its aesthetics, visual, emotional, and auditory, have had a much greater impact on our culture than has its message. We see this in the presence and popularity of psychedelic art, music, and other media. However, as yet, there is no cogent psychedelic philosophy, law, theology, economics, or religion. These latter fields depend to a much greater extent on cognitive information than aesthetics. The very notion that DMT or psychedelics is message poor and only rich in aesthetics is to me ludicrous. Rick Strassman discussed how his volunteers had trouble decoding the messages they received. And I think a lot of the problems has to do with set and setting, like I mentioned before, and the lack of intention, maybe, that the participants had. Because if you have a clear intention, then the message is pretty clear. Also, the shamanic or the psychedelic path generates freedom and individualism 
in the sense that there is no need to have a psychedelic economics or law or any other stupid parental concept. So psychedelics is message poor compared to the Hebrew Bible. Well, I'm, you know, agenda poor maybe. Because there's certainly an agenda in the Hebrew Bible. <coughs> Although DMT, the soul of prophecy, is not all bad. It has some interesting passages. For instance, in the following excerpt, Rick Strassman discussed something known as dependent origination. He mentioned something called the Abhidharma, which are Buddhist texts which contain detailed scholastic reworkings of doctrinal material appearing in the Buddhist sutras. Anyway, this is what he says. Abhidharma describes a 12-step model called dependent origination that is consistent with Buddhism's view that the phenomenal world, both inner and outer, has no inherent reality. This world is conditioned, composite, and ephemeral, and our restless, painful, unenlightened state results from mistaking the unreal for the real. More precisely, it is the result of a flawed relationship with the unreal, treating it as if it were real. Dependent origination teaches practitioners to treat all these seemingly real things as objects of meditation, the practice of which leads to a more enlightened consciousness. And our restless, painful, unenlightened state results from mistaking the unreal for the real. Someone that is skilled in meditation and in understanding the concept that neither the real nor the unreal is in fact real will have an easier time navigating the DMT realm. Or at least that is theoretically the idea. Now the most interesting bit from his book DMT the Soul of Prophecy is the following. In chapter 3, I referred to studies demonstrating active transport of DMT across the blood-brain barrier. This suggests that DMT may be necessary for normal brain function, and normal brain function means normal consciousness. In other words, the brain appears to require an endogenous psychedelic substance to maintain normal consciousness. If this is indeed the case, that means that reality is only different levels of tripping. Awake, sleeping, dreaming, taking drugs, dancing, sex. Just different kinds of trips, yet all dancing in the arena of DMT. That could be why when taking DMT it becomes such an intense experience, because it creates feedback. I don't know if you've done this, but if you... I mean, if you connect a camera, a video camera, to your TV, and then you film the TV, you get a weird loop effect on the screen. Some sort of video feedback. 
If you put a microphone too close to the speaker, you get a high-pitched noise, which is a sound feedback. So if our lives are constantly perceived thanks to DMT, then when smoking DMT, it's like taking a microphone and pushing it into a speaker. It's like a feedback effect. Perhaps that's why the DMT experience is so intense and so weird. Anyway, it's something to consider at least. So anyway, my, my heresy, I mean, I've I tried to finish there on something positive. There were some good things. So it's not all bad, you know. I don't want to shit on Dr. Rick Strassman too much. I mean, his, his books are fine. I just got annoyed at his lack of insight when it concerns indigenous culture because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I also think he really lacks a knowledge of this set and setting and intention. And I think his study is deeply flawed for this reason. Uh, it's like if you study sex, right? If you have sex with somebody you love, that's going to be one kind of experience. But what if you have sex in a brightly lit room with two doctors standing next to you asking you questions while you're fucking someone? It's not going to be the same experience. So I think that study is deeply flawed. And the fact that he did two books on the same study is a bit lazy. <gasps> in my opinion. And this in the psychedelic community is heresy, I think. Permission for heresy is never a bad idea. If you like this episode and this podcast, I hope you support it by sharing it in social media and with friends or writing a nice review on iTunes. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist and become a patron. Do you have a couple of bucks you ain't using lying around the house? Uh, would you be interested in listening to these episodes before they are officially released? And would you want to be able to hear a lot of extra material and deleted content not available anywhere else? Well, if the answer is yes, then go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist and become a patron. Now, I don't know how many podcasts you are listening to, but I bet not many of them are devoid of adverts. I'm not going to peddle uh, Squarespace, Blue Apron, Fleshlights, or um, Legal Zoom, or uh, I don't know, Audible. <laughs> uh, no, fuck all those products. Because you can't buy me. If I am going to sell a product, that product is going to be myself. So you'll never experience ads on this podcast, only ads that promote the podcast itself. Let's keep it meta, don't you think?
Sometimes it takes a while before I manage to get around to stuff and sometimes in the 90s I knew that Sonic Youth's album Washing Machine was really good. And the other week I managed to finally listen to it. Only like 29 years later or something. (laughs) 20 years later, 25 years, I don't know how long. Better late than never anyway. The last track, The Diamond Sea, is a true masterpiece. That is, if you like noise avant-garde rock music. I decided to mix that song with some Alan Watts. Personally, I think it goes well together. But I might be alone in that opinion. So lean back, relax and get inspired. I believe that if we are honest with ourselves that the most fascinating problem in the world is who am I? What do you mean? What do you feel when you say the word I? I myself. I don't think There can be any more fascinating preoccupation than that because it's so mysterious, it's so elusive. Because what you are in your inmost being escapes your examination in rather the same way that you can't look directly into your own eyes without using a mirror, you can't bite your own teeth, you can't taste your own tongue, And you can't touch the tip of this finger with the tip of this finger. And that's why there's always an element of profound mystery in the problem of who we are. This problem has fascinated me for many years and I've made many inquiries. What do you mean by the word I? And There is a certain consensus about this, a certain agreement, especially among people who live in Western civilization. Most of us feel I, ego, myself, my source of consciousness, to be a center of awareness and of a source of action that resides in the middle of a bag of skin. And so we have what I have called the conception of ourselves as a skin encapsulated ego. Now actually, it is absolutely absurd to say that we came into this world. We didn't, we came out of it. What do you think you are? 
Supposing this world is a tree, are you leaves on its branches or are you a bunch of birds that settled on a dead old tree from somewhere else? Surely everything that we know about living organisms from the standpoint of the sciences shows us that we grow out of this world, that we, each one of us, are what you might call symptoms of the state of the universe as a whole. And the whole of Western thought is profoundly influenced through and through and through by the idea that all things, all events, all people, all mountains, all stars, all flowers, all uh, grasshoppers, all worms, everything are artifacts. They have been made. And it is therefore natural for a Western child to say to its mother, how was I made? And I and my environment, you and your environment, are explicitly as different as different could be. But implicitly, you go together. And this is discovered by the scientist when he tries, as the whole art of science is to describe what happens exactly. And when he describes exactly what you do, he finds out that you, your behavior, is not something that can be separated from the behavior of the world around you. He realizes then that you are something that the whole world is doing. Just as when the sea has waves on it, all right, the sea, the ocean is waving. And so each one of us is a waving of the whole cosmos, the entire works, all there is. And with each one of us, it's waving and saying, yoo-hoo, here I am. sensation of ourselves as being just the spotlight, just the ego that looks and attends to this and that and the other. And so we ignore and are unaware of the vast, vast extent of our being. People who by various methods become fully aware of their floodlight consciousness have what is called a mystical experience or a cosmic consciousness or what the Buddhists call Bodhi, awakening. The Hindus call Moksha, liberation. Because they discover that the real deep, deep self, that which you really are fundamentally and forever, 
Sometimes people leave a nice review on iTunes. Here is one I got a while back from someone called Language Learner 99. My favorite extraordinary consciousness expanding artful dialogues and wisdom explorations. Thank you Alex, what a gift you are and all your guests and the heritage you synthesize from. Out of six months exploring podcasts, this is the standout one where every episode is worth listening to. Resonant, filled with expansive awareness and spirit-uplifting sharing. May many people find this rich source of nourishment and resonance on this planet. Well, thank you for that very nice review. It means a lot. Okay, so now... Oh. Hello? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. This is NBA News. For those that do not already know, PewDiePie was overtaken by T-Series and was no longer the biggest YouTuber. But this war was not over because the true fight is reaching 100 million subscribers first. That is the true battle. And PewDiePie managed to crawl back with the help of his 9-year-old army. That's an inside joke. And it is hard to say what will happen, but one thing is for sure. We need to make sure PewDiePie reaches 100 million subs first. We already lost the the run of being the fir- the biggest YouTuber. T-Series took over, but PewDiePie fought his way back and is now the biggest again. And he can lose that position again. It doesn't really matter anymore because the point is to reach 100 million subscribers first. It is a matter of principle. We cannot allow a big corporation to defeat an independent creator. So join the fight and subscribe to PewDiePie on YouTube. A few weeks ago he released a track congratulating T-Series on their victory of becoming the biggest channel on YouTube. As we all know this victory was short-lived but the track still remains relevant because T-Series will overtake PewDiePie eventually. India is a big country so it will happen but the game is to reach 100 million subs first and then you know then it's game over so this song is actually a congratulation that you know t series did manage to reach the number one spot eventually but it's also not a congratulation song because if you listen close this track is also a diss track even if it's called congratulations so we'll finish this episode with that song and you know, Rick Strassman, no hard feelings. You know, what the fuck do I know? <laughs> <gasps> Next Sunday is the last of the month, and as usual, we are going to listen to a pre recorded talk. It was a while since we heard some Terence McKenna, so let's do that. Why the hell not? Freedom is in the mind. But today, I just want to tell you Congratulations, that's a 
corporation Guess you be one Swedish boy, you need a billion Asians Yeah, you did it very nice And all it took was a massive corporate entity With every song in Bollywood Now you're at number one Hope you did nothing wrong Like starting your business by selling pirated songs Oops, didn't think we'd see It's right there on Wikipedia Get used to your past being held against you by the media I'm sure right now there's nothing that you're doing that's illegal Yeah, I'm certain that you haven't had collusions with the mafia For legal reasons, that's a joke For legal reasons, that's a joke For serious Indian mafia, please don't kill me, that's a joke India, I'm sorry about the memes, you're the best I love my Indian bros From Bombay to Bangladesh I'll take on all the world for you I'm a heavy hitter About to cause a genocide So you can call me Hey, congratulations To hold their defecation But let me educate you, silly That's not defamation T-Series can eat a dick Still not defamation Stuck my fucking Swedish meatballs Still not defamation Did you know that Indians have poopo in their brains? That's a blatant racist lie Yeah, but still not defamation India got YouTube figured out That's sick, son How about next you figure how to fix the caste system? Maybe all those ads will solve your crippling poverty But looking good T-Series past I'm guessing not probably But never mind the poor people We just hit a party Just hit a pot some bottles with a nine-year-old army Not alcoholic cause I had a real problem But we still have to live it like we about to Kamikaze So this is it Thanks for sticking with my channel Ever since I was a nobody screaming in barrels Yeah, this is it it's been an adventure. It's the end of the reign of Felix Arvid Ulf Schalberg. Through all the change and controversy, you've been by my side. There's no army in the world. I would rather give me a watch time. It's been a wild ride. So while I can still be heard, here's one last bro fist from the number one in the world. <laughs>